Starting this Friday, Taiwan will offer all four available brands as second doses of a COVID vaccine course. This means that for the first time, AstraZeneca and Medigen will be available as the second dose of a mixed course. Also on Friday, booster shots will become available to anyone aged 18 and older who received the second dose of a COVID vaccine at least five months before. Since it opened earlier this month, the vaccination site at Taipei Main Station has seen big crowds of people on a daily basis. The latest figures put Taiwan's one-dose coverage at 79.58%, two-dose coverage at 65.9%, and booster coverage at 0.27%. But with first-shot coverage not yet past 80%, the CCC says it will extend its vaccine clinic at Taipei Main Station. Yesterday, we vaccinated 1,987 people at Taipei Main Station. So altogether, we have administered 35,000 374 shots there. We have decided to extend the vaccine clinic there to December 29th. Starting Friday, booster shots will be available to adults aged 18 and up who received their second shot at least five months before. AstraZeneca will not be available as a booster shot to the general public without medical reasons, but Moderna, Pfizer and Medigen will. Also starting Friday, members of the public will be able to choose brands other than Moderna and Pfizer as the second shot of a mixed vaccine course. That means Medigen, which has a lower incidence of side effects, will be available as a second shot. Meanwhile, some doctors say that an interval of five months between a second shot and a booster is too long and could leave people vulnerable. But the CECC says it's the right policy for Taiwan's current situation. Currently, Taiwan is not experiencing an epidemic. We don't see any local cases. On top of that, the first three priority groups already satisfy this five-month requirement. So taking into account Taiwan's current situation, we don't need to adjust the five-month interval for boosters. Immunocompromised people won't have to wait as long to get their booster shot. Their recommended interval is 28 days. Everyone else will have to wait five months for a booster. It's now been one week since Taiwan's seven-day hotel quarantine policy came into effect. On Tuesday, the very first travelers to use the policy were released from their hotels so they could complete uh, the rest of their mandatory quarantine at home. During a routine press briefing, the CCC had a reminder for these travelers. At the very end, you will need to do seven days of self-health management, and you'll report on your status using two-way text messaging. Please make sure that you do not share a room or bathroom with any other residents of the home. You may not eat together. If you violate any of the quarantine regulations, the maximum penalty is 1 million NT. It's my hope that over the next two to three weeks, we will be able to complete hotel inspections. After that, we will conduct random inspections. We'll see if, following an inspection, the hotel has made improvements on issues of concern. The health minister was asked if Taiwan might lower its COVID alert after spring festival. He responded cautiously, saying that if efforts to block the Omicron variant are successful, then restrictions will gradually be lifted. He expressed hope that booster shots would, store, would help store normalcy in 2022. Army tanks fought off a beach landing on Tuesday during a live fire drill in Xinzhou. 
This was the opening of a four-week annual exercise launch this year to improve the independent combat capabilities of basic units. Two tank platoons were chosen from across the nation to participate. Let's see them in action. The sound of artillery rings through the sky. Two CM-11 Brave Tigers destroy their target, giving cover to troops as they relocate. At the other end of the field, four M60A3 battle tanks secure the advantage of high ground. They unleash bursts of firepower to destroy enemy troops, making a landing on the beach. This was a drill to improve the independent combat capabilities of basic tactical units. The exercise launched just this year. Each time, two tank platoons for eight tanks in total will be selected from units across the country. They will undergo four weeks of training at a site other than their home base. It's different from the training they've already gotten on base. The model we use is we select smaller units and more basic units. The main purpose is to train the most basic platoon leader and tank commander. They're drilled in firing at fixed points and engaging moving targets while advancing. Troops from the 564th Armored Brigade and the Lanyang Area Command took each test in stride. Along the way, they ran into a mechanical snag as their armor-piercing training ammunition failed to fire. We use the repeat firing protocol using that procedure to complete our troubleshooting. The troops reacted to the challenge as a well-oiled machine. Among the tank crew, one young woman stood out for her adeptness on the field. I do everyday exercise like jogging and squats for physical training. That's how I overcome the pressure of the tank break. Taiwan's two main battle tanks took center stage at the live-fire drill as troops put their training on display. Since 2020, COVID has impacted many economics around the world. To assist allies in need, the Taiwan International Cooperation and Development Funds has implemented a variety of humanitarian projects. To showcase the work they have done in 16 countries over the past two years, ICDF is holding a photography exhibition at Songshan Cultural and Creative Park. For most news reporter, Stephanie Yang takes us there for a look. Pacific allies greatly rely on imported foods and agricultural supplies. Since the start of the pandemic, some have been stricken by food shortages due to flight suspensions and lockdowns. The Taiwan ICDF sent missions to provide allied countries with meats and vegetables. They also provided seeds, agricultural supplies, and skills training to locals who wanted to grow their own produce. Supposedly, we have so many projects to be implemented in different countries. But during pandemic, of course, those countries have been affected by the disease. So we're trying to use our resources and manpower for those projects to help the locals trying to overcome the challenges of the pandemics, such as we use the, our projects where we have the cash to support the like farmers, like then to make sure that still could have the income. Due to the pandemic, borders were closed all around the world, which impacted the global economy. Taiwan ICDF provided microloans to farmers' organizations to help small local enterprises. And also we provide help them to make some equipment, to make some protections, like mask or even the, the shield. Yep. So this only was some examples that we are doing during the pandemic. But the others, because they need the cash, so also we have a loan scheme, trying to give the microloan to locals and for them to have their business still can going on. In average, there's still almost 90 projects still going on, almost. 
average yearly on a yearly basis. A photography exhibition showcasing the results of Taiwan's assistance to allies during the pandemic is underway at Songshan Cultural and Creative Park until December 26th. For most news, Stephanie Yang, Zhong Shuhui in Taipei. The DPP held a roundtable on Tuesday to break down the results of the 4-in-1 referendum. One speaker said that the historically low turnout of 41 percent was not due to voter indifference. Instead, he said, it reflected the public's belief that the decision on the ballot should have been left to the government. The roundtable was conducted in English for an audience of foreign representatives and international media workers. So uh, the result uh, for the DPP is quite... Uh, we are quite happy to see the result of the referendum. Lawmaker Luo Zhizheng moderated a roundtable on the results of last week's referendum. He said the DPP was happy with the outcome. We are hoping to see uh, what kind of dynamics we are going to have in terms of politics in Taiwan, uh, domestic politics, uh, foreign policies, and also uh, cross-trade uh, implications. Foreign media paid close attention to this referendum. Many nations' representatives in Taiwan also really wanted to know how Taiwan's policies and politics will evolve after this vote. So we held this event to provide our analysis of the situation so that they can understand the changes in Taiwan's political climate. But even if you see 41% is low or lower than the elections, um, then I would argue that the low turnout signals that not the voters do not care, but the voters collectively believe that those policy decisions should be made by the legislative and executive branches of the government and not directly by the people. President Tsai has made a quite clear statement. Uh, she thinks that, uh, and also DPP think, uh, this is this result shows actually the Taiwanese support opening up uh, the relationship with the uh, with the world. We hope to continue pursuing our energy transition policy. We hope to find a balance between economic development and the energy transition, and we also hope to deepen Taiwan's democratic processes. With the referendum over, the DPP is reaching out to foreign representatives and media to pave way for future collaboration. This year, the New Year's fireworks show at Taipei 101 will last 360 seconds. That makes it the equal longest show on record, tied with the 362nd event of 2018. Altogether, 16,000 fireworks will be launched off the skyscraper to ring in the new year with a bang. There will be special heart-shaped and wing-shaped fireworks choreographed with a musical arrangement inspired by Taiwanese folk music. On one side of Taipei 101, there will be a light show to go with the pyrotechnic display. Taipei 101 Chairman Zhang Shui-shun says the theme of the show is toward a better future. The program is designed to warm hearts and inspire hope for a happy and peaceful 2022. Yunlin is a major producer of cured mullet roe. The fishy delicacy has a delicate flavor and texture, um, and close attention is required to prepare it just right. On Tuesday, a local fishermen's association held an appraisal event to find the best of the best. Fifty-five fishermen participated in the contest, each vying to be the top mullet roe purveyor of the year. Appraisers sample a piece of cured mullet roe, examining its luster and color and taking a whiff of its aroma. Then they go in for a taste to ascertain its distinctive notes. 
To tell whether the cured mullet roe is of good quality, the experts take notes on its appearance, flavor, texture, and mouthfeel. They're looking for an even and deep golden color with a pleasant texture. Top-notch varieties will leave a fragrant taste in the mouth. They're slightly tacky, but not overly sticky. Usually, we roll a piece around with our tongue to check its sweetness and saltiness, to check whether it is too salty and so on. The Fisherman's Association says that Yunlin is a major production hub for cured mullet roe, and the production process has greatly improved in recent years. Previously, roe was cured by hand in the sun. Now, cold drying is part of the process. For the health-conscious consumer, low-salt varieties are now available. Eating habits have changed a lot in Taiwan. They want reduced salt and low sodium. So now we keep the salt levels within certain parameters. The Fishermen's Association says that this year, soaring costs for materials and labor, as well as a drop in mullet production, have pushed prices up by 20 to 30 percent. One caddy goes for about 1,800 to 1,900 NT. That's about 200 to 300 NT more expensive. Galyang liquor is set alight so the flames can torch the mullet roe. Once it's toasty and golden, it's sliced thin for an unforgettable bite. That's why cured mullet roe is a popular present for others and oneself. The association says the appraisal will find the best of the best, bringing publicity to local products and drumming up profits for the fishermen. Are you looking for a topical gift for friends this winter? A Tokyo 2020 New Year card from the National Sports Training Center could be the answer. The card depicts Tokyo Olympics medal winners gathering for a homespun New Year banquet. The cutesy design is a nod to the community spirit traditionally associated with Lunar New Year. A year delayed but no less thrilling, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics was a fantastic outing for Taiwan's athletes. Now the excitement is over, some of Taiwan's brightest are back on the international tournament circuit. Others are on home turf in training for 2022. The National Sports Training Center has published a special New Year card based on 10 sports where Taiwan's athletes won medals. Ten of the medal winners appear as cute avatars to share a New Year's supper. All of the sports are visible too, of course. Banquets are usually on 10-person tables, and we got medals in 10 sports by coincidence. The New Year dinner represents our unity. This card allows us to share with everyone who cares about our National Sports Training Center athletes and partners. This is the first design based on the sports people. They're all keen to stress that their sports are the stars of the show, not themselves as individuals. That doesn't mean, though, that they can't pick themselves out from the crowd with one glance. This gives me a chance to get together with everyone. United we stand. This is me. It's so cute. I feel it's the strength of the whole sports world coming together, not distinguishing by sport. For some athletes, the adorableness is a little overwhelming. It's just too cute. They drew us so vivid and full of life. I think this card has been designed with so much heart, and I feel respected. Sports officials say that after a year where we came together to ward off COVID, those amazing results in Tokyo have proven Taiwan's strength. They made the 2022 New Year card as a tribute to the Olympians and a testament to the power of solidarity in every arena of life. Now turning to a filmmaker who's helping youth connect with the past. French-trained Taiwanese director Chen Huiling has won numerous awards for her documentary A Letter to Ama. The documentary is a patchwork of true stories about Taiwan of a bygone era. 
To create her film, Chen asked young students to interview their grandparents and then interpret the stories through drawings. Even after the documentary's release, Chen's art project is still ongoing at schools across the nation. For Mosa News reporter Stephanie Yang has the story. Before she began making films, Chen Huiling was an art teacher. After studying cinematography in France, she spent 10 years in Taiwan creating her award-winning documentary, A Letter to Ama. Although this was a letter to my late grandmother, it gradually became a collective pursuit dedicated to the island, a prayer for the island of Taiwan. Chen spent 10 years creating the documentary. She invited Taiwanese students to interview their grandparents. Then she guided the young people in interpreting their grandparents' stories through art. Ultimately, she thrived to construct a group portrait of Taiwan. This film is about the pursuit of memory, from the pursuit of an individual memory to the pursuit of collective memory. In the process of searching, the method I proposed was artistic action. Artistic action helps us construct the perspectives of today. Only with the establishment of these perspectives can we connect the past with the future. Eight young students and their grandparents' stories are featured in the documentary. A Letter to Ama won first place at the 2021 Taiwan International Women's Film Festival. It also won Best Documentary and Best Original Film Soundtrack at the Les Rimbaudu Cinema Film Festival in France. It was shortlisted for Best Documentary at the Golden Horse Awards. I searched for 10 years to find the true face of history. You will always find fragments. But if you have a way to find the common ground for these fragments, you can weld them together tightly. You can construct a view of history in your mind. Her film is complete, but the pursuit of collective memory continues. With support from the Ministry of Education, Chen has taken her art creation project to schools nationwide. So far, more than 12,000 students in 17 cities and counties have participated. Just like the students in her documentary, these kids are asked to interview their grandparents and interpret their stories through art. For these children, 70 years and three generations have passed. They may feel distant from that past. They have no way to enter the historical context. But what can help a child to get to know their history? I think it needs to be through art education. It is not just education, it is art action. Because art is developed from all human senses and it is very powerful. Chen was awarded the Ministry of Education's Arts Education Contribution Award in 2018. She says she hopes to continue to use film as a medium to promote art education in Taiwan. For Mosa News, Stephanie Yang, Zhong Shuhui in Taipei.